Thanks for joining us for the Connect Podcast. I'm Cole Phillips, the lead pastor of the Connection Church, and every week we're going to look into the Bible to find out how God's Word connects to our everyday lives. It's going to be life-changing. The Connect Podcast is produced every week for your growth and inspiration. You can find all the show notes at makingtheconnection.org. You can also find the podcast on your favorite podcasting service, Follow me on Twitter at Cole Phillips and on Facebook and Instagram. You'll find all the links in the show notes. Now, let's get into the study. All right, I'm so glad that you're here with me today, and I'm excited about continuing through the book of Acts. We've just gotten started, so uh, so you're here at a great time. Uh, be sure to let people know if you're benefiting from uh, from this. Be sure to let uh, let everyone know so that they can also... Uh, grow. And what we do at the Connect Podcast is we get into God's Word so that we can get God's Word into our lives, so we can get it out of our lives, into the world around us. And, you know, a major problem that we're facing in our world today is there is a crisis of leadership. Uh, It is a problem uh, to to have, uh, you know, godly leaders with integrity. Um, They're hard to find. And this is true in our world at large, but this is true in the church as well. And so, so I want to uh, I want to help raise up leaders. And I know that if you're uh, listening to this, then in in many ways you are a leader. Leadership is simply uh, influence, nothing more, nothing less. It's in everyone has a circle of influence, a sphere of influence of people that you are making a difference in their lives, and the church certainly needs. Uh, good, good, godly, strong leaders. And uh, so as we get into Acts chapter 1, and we're going to look, we're going to try at least to, to look all the way from Acts 12 through Acts, uh, Acts 112 and through verse 26. And uh, what we're finding here is this is a passage that really tells us about what leadership looks like and what God is looking for in leaders and uh, how so? So this applies to how we should live our lives, but also it applies to uh, the kinds of leaders that we should uh, look to, and the kind of leaders that we should bring into our lives. So if you have your Bible, uh, open it up, and if you've got something to write with, take some notes. Uh, let, let me read verses uh, twelve um, and uh, just twelve and thirteen, I believe, to begin with. All right. So it says this: Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. If you remember what had just happened, uh, Jesus had just ascended uh, into heaven and the disciples were standing around watching and the angel said, why are you standing here? You need to do what he told you to do. He, Jesus told them to, to go back to Jerusalem, to wait in Jerusalem. And so in verse 13, when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, different Judas than the one who betrayed Jesus. 
And um, so we see these essentials of leadership that begin right here uh, in this passage. And the first one that, that we need to nail down is obedience, doing what Jesus tells us to do. What did the disciples do? They returned to Jerusalem. They had just witnessed uh, Jesus' ascension, and they obeyed Jesus by returning to Jerusalem. And let me tell you, this, this was not easy. Obedience doesn't always mean that, uh, that it's going to be easy. Um, their obedience took great courage, in fact, uh, because Jerusalem was the epicenter of the opposition to Jesus and his followers. So they were literally risking their lives to obey Jesus. It would have been so much easier to go someplace that was considered more safe and wait on God there and even serve God there. But what Jesus wanted them to do was to go back to Jerusalem. He had told them to do it, and the disciples had committed their lives to do what Jesus told them to do. And uh, so when we are not obedient, we are in so many ways disqualifying ourselves from leadership. And we know that unfaithful leaders can produce and many times produce unfaithful followers. One thing I think we don't think about is that Sometimes the reason we have unfaithful leaders is because as followers, we are unfaithful. Sometimes what I'm saying is we get the leaders we deserve. John Calvin wrote this, when God wants to judge a nation, he gives them wicked rulers. And you need to uh, look no further than our country, our nation, to see how true this has been. When um, we are choosing our leaders. We have to be walking ourselves in God's will, doing, obeying what God has told us to do. You, many times we want to know God's will for our lives, but we're not willing to do what God has told us to do. And, you know, one question we would raise is like, if I'm not doing what God wants me to do already in my life, then why is God going to show me what's next? Why is God going to show me uh, something else he wants me to do when he already knows I'm not doing what he asked me to do. And uh, you can't know God's choice for a leader unless you personally are obeying him. Uh, disobedient and worldly believers end up with disobedient and worldly leaders, ungodly leaders. And uh, we see this uh, happening in the church at large all over the place, and we wonder, why is that? Well, we need to raise our level of obedience. We need to make sure that our leaders uh, are serious about doing God's will and following God's purpose. And so that's first, is if you want to be a leader today in your own life, in your own home, in your own business, then make sure that you're doing what God tells you to do. I'm talking about obedience. The second essential is that a leader is committed to God's mission. That is first and foremost. Uh, all 11 of the, apostle, uh, of the apostles were there together, and they were even meeting there in the upper room 
where the apostles were staying. This was a large room. There were uh, over 120 disciples who had gathered in that room. Um, but again, you know, we have leaders today and we are leaders. I mean, I'm talking uh, whatever sphere of influence you're in, um, there are leaders who are compromising, who are less focused on the mission. What's the mission? We keep the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing is to reach out to those who do not know Jesus yet. I love to say yet, because just because they don't know Jesus, let me tell you, uh, God is in the business of changing lives and uh, no one is too far beyond his reach. And, and so uh, we need to be serious about the mission. And when you lose passion for the mission, you lose passion for reaching out beyond uh, your life and beyond the four walls of the church, you're always going to get uh, a church that is that is dry and dead and dusty and full of formality, uh, focused on itself, and, um, and it becomes more and more like the world around it. Whenever we lose sight of the mission, that's when compromise begins to set in. And there, there's a huge difference between being um, outreach-oriented, let's say, and being uh, just socially-minded. There are a lot of Christians that are socially-minded, and they, they want to do good in the world, and we need to be doing good in the world. Uh, in fact, we need to be doing more good in the world because people, many times, they, they look at our lives and they see uh, how much we care by what we're doing in order to help them. But, uh, but at the same time, it's not just about those social ministries. It's not just about, uh, you know, feeding or, or, or clothing or all of those things. That may be a first step. Um, and it's not really a means to an end. You don't do this part of it so that you can tell somebody about Jesus. It's really more both and. We need to help people in their physical situations. Jesus did that so many times, but he never left out the part about their eternity and their relationship with him because this life is short. This life only uh, goes so long and we're never going to uh, fix all the problems of our world. But, uh, but eternity, on the other hand, is very long. And we want to make sure the ultimate answer for all the problems in our world is that people know Jesus and God is going to fix it all. So we got we to gotta do both. We've got to be helping people and we've got, to, uh, we've got to be telling them about the reason why. And um, a lot of churches have sort of gotten to the point where they're just saying, well, we're just going to sort of help the community be better. And let me tell you also, I'm just, I'm just telling you from my heart today, like, like churches in a community, it makes all the difference. It raises uh, the level of the community and it brings so much life and so much hope into the community and so much help into the community. Okay. Uh, and, and yet again, that's one piece of the puzzle, but the primary commitment has to be reaching people for Jesus. And um, so the church has to have and follow true, godly, uh, passionate leaders. And, and if, the, if the church is going to be all that God wants it to be, and if the church is going to continue into the future, which let me tell you, 
It's going to because uh, God's church is going to prevail. But we've got to be committed to the, to the mission, and that's a mark of leadership, right? But then also, check it out. Another essential of leadership that we see here is seeking uh, unity and community, okay? Um, agreement, not being divisive. Look at verse 14. They all join together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Wow, what a picture of uh, just bringing everyone in, everyone together. They came together in the upper room for one reason, and that was to seek after uh, the, the Spirit of God and to wait on God's Spirit. The Bible says, it says that they were all in one accord. It's been said, you know, what was the first car in the Bible? Well, the disciples, they were all in one accord. But that word means the same mind, having the same mind or spirit, uh, being of, of uh, united in their thoughts and in their heart and their purpose. Okay, so all 120 uh, believers at that time, they were in the upper room. And, and it is uh, amazing as we walk through Acts to see how we go from 12 to 120 and watch how quickly things multiply. But uh, they were all, why? They were all seeking after the same thing. They were all seeking after the same spirit and they had the same mission and they were focusing all of their heart and their thoughts and seeking God's uh, promise of, of the spirit. So we see in the upper room, you've got the 11 disciples. You've got the women who were, uh, some of them were the wives of the apostles. I got another uh, lame joke, but, you know, I ask people, uh, what are the epistles? They're the wives of the apostles. No, that's not true. Wipe that from your memory. The epistles are letters in the New Testament. I guess that's a pastor joke. But uh, the <laughs> the uh, uh, the uh, why the, many of the uh, apostles had wives, and there were other women who followed Jesus. There was Mary, the mother of Jesus. There was the brothers of Jesus, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. And you know, it's so interesting that they were there because these were Jesus' family. And before the resurrection, they were like, "There's no way that that this that Jesus is." Uh, the Messiah, the Son of God, and yet after the resurrection, they knew. I mean, if your if your relative died and came back from from the dead, you would believe what they said. And so, but otherwise, it would be really hard for you to believe that your you know your brother or sister was the Messiah, right? Well, uh, James actually uh, was given a personal appearance in Revelation by Jesus after he was. Uh, alive again, and he became the pastor and the leader of a great church in Jerusalem. So that word, one accord, that word accord was used only 11 times in the Bible. So we see how were they in one accord? Well, they were one, in one accord in prayer. They were in one accord in the same place. They were in one accord in worship. And uh, they were in one accord in their obedience of God. Uh, they were in one accord in making decisions. And then in Rome, those were all in Acts. In Romans, they were in one accord in, uh, in the way that they glorified God. And we need to be in one accord. When we're in one accord, I mean, 
you know, that like we, we talked about this in our study of John, but Jesus prayed that we would be one. And this is the, that we'd be, you know, uh, united. And this is the one prayer of Jesus that we can do something about by agreeing with each other and by coming together. Uh, again, one accord, uh, it does not mean compromise. It doesn't mean the lowest common denominator. It means coming together around the word of God, agreeing uh, that what God says is true. Okay. Um, and so uh, we've got to be of one purpose. And the greatest strength in a church is when we unite together around the purpose that God has given us. And you want uh, leaders who are not divisive leaders in the sense that they're going to divide the people, but they're going to try to lead all the people to follow after God, his purpose, and his presence. Let's talk about this next essential, and that is uh, persistence in prayer. Prayer is so prayer is so key. What did they do? The disciples, as they're coming together, they're waiting in that upper room, they continued and they endured and they stuck to praying. They didn't give up. They're waiting for the promise of God. He said, Jesus said he was going to send his spirit. And they weren't going to stop until they received God's very special uh, promise that came through uh, through the power of prayer. And uh, so they they said, "I'm not gonna. We're not gonna give up. We're not going to to drift. We're gonna keep praying until God comes through with His promise." Okay. So persistence in prayer, and then also. Um, courageous in faith. I mean, these go together. Having faith means living courageously. In verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. Okay, so about 120 believers there. And what did Peter do? He stepped into leadership. Okay, and think about how powerful that was because Peter had failed in a terrible way, in a miserable way, in a tragic way. He denied Jesus not just once, but three times. And when he did that, not only did he uh, lose some of his uh, leadership credibility, but also he personally, emotionally dropped into despair and depression. And he could have easily stayed in that place, stayed in that defeat, and let the looks of the others and the criticism of the others keep him from living out his purpose and, and his leadership. And he could have just said, I give up. I'm not the person. But he got up, he stood up, stood strong, stood up in the middle of that crowd, and he did exactly what Jesus had appointed him to do. Um, and so his, his failures were not keeping him away from Jesus or from serving the Lord. Listen, there's no such thing as a perfect leader. You know, we're all going to fail. Um, and and uh, yet we need to be authentic. We need to be honest uh, and we need to be courageous and uh, step into the role of leader. And if you, if you are courageously stepping up as a leader, you're going to get criticized. That's just, that, that just goes along with leadership. Uh, the only way to not get criticism is just to do nothing. 
And if you do nothing, nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to say anything, but you're not going to be effective and you're not going to be living out the purpose God has for you. When you step up as a leader, uh, it's it, we do so, and the way Peter did it, it wasn't out of obligation. It wasn't because he had to. It wasn't because he was afraid. It, it was because he had a call on his life. He knew God's purpose for him. And, and what he said to the leaders of the church was, here, here he says, To the elders among you, I, pe- I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock. This is 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, uh, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those who entrusted to you, uh, or those that God entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So he's saying, look, this isn't uh, an obligation. You know, sometimes it, you, you can feel that way, like, oh, I've got to do this. You know, I have to do this. Listen, we don't serve out of that obligation. We serve because it is an honor. And there's nothing better than to get to be a part of God's uh, purpose and his plan. And, and I'm so excited that we get to be a part of the most exciting thing, uh, the mission of God in our world today. And so um, I'm talking about following Peter's example of being a person of faith and a person of courage, being willing to take risks. You know, you got to get out on a limb because that's where the fruit is. And then uh, the sixth essential of leadership is this. In order to be a leader, you've got to be able to follow. You can't lead until you learn what it means to follow because we're all under authority. We all have authority issues, and uh, how you respond to authority over you will determine how those under your leadership will respond to you. You've got to get um, under what God has, who God has you under in order for you to get over who God has for you to lead, okay? And all 120 believers listened and followed Peter's leadership. You know, leadership is really, or following, followership, let's say. Followership is voluntary, especially in the church. You know, if you've got a paycheck and you're working for a boss or a parent, you know, you might be obligated to do what they say, but Christian leadership is willingly choosing to follow, and we follow godly leaders, God-called leaders. Um, and so, but at the same time, God's blessings and his presence depended on their willingness to follow the leader that God had placed in their life. And um, so leaders, one of the things I've found as leaders is in terms of uh, being uh, suitable to lead others, not only do you have to be willing to follow, but you've got to be teachable and you've got to continue to be teachable. Uh, we're learning. You've got... If you can't lead somebody to a place that you're not going, and and if you're not continually growing, people will grow past you. They're not going to follow you, right? So we got to continue to be self feeders. We got to continue to grow. Uh, let's let's look at verse uh, sixteen through twenty, okay? Um, and so uh, he said, Peter said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. 
He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. Um, and so uh, this, he's talking about Judas, Judas Iscariot. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. This tells of his fate here. Check it out. There he fell headlong. His body burst open. All his, This is nasty. All his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language Akeldama, which is field of blood. For, said Peter, is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted and there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Huge lessons here, you know, and that is that just because you're called and you're appointed and even have some success and effectiveness in leadership, that doesn't mean that it is a uh, it's, it, you're going to continue to 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 lead lifelong because you can forfeit your leadership. You can disqualify yourself in your leadership. Uh, the church had this empty office because Judas had died in a tragic way as a as a an example uh, for people to say, "Hey, this is dangerous stuff." If I don't take my calling seriously, um, you know, it, it can end very, very badly. Judas held one of the highest positions. He was the treasurer of the ministry. He handled the money, right? Um, leadership is not a one-and-done appointment for life. You've got to stay on the path. Uh, Judas had betrayed Jesus, the one who um, had... Been, he, his responsibility should have been guiding people to follow Jesus. Instead, he guided people, he guided Jesus' enemies to uh, reject and deny and and crucify Jesus. Um, and so, listen, there are people who are in leadership. There are people who are in the church. There are people who call themselves Christians who even have some success in ministry. They may be doing good things, but they may never have made a, a true, genuine um, repentance to follow Jesus and a commitment to Jesus. You can't bypass that step or else all the good that you're doing, I'm not saying it's not, you know, that the, the people that were reached aren't still reached, but you've disqualified yourself and uh, you can do much more damage in the process. You can ca cause many more people not to follow after Jesus. Jesus had given his heart for greed, and he sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And he hung himself as a result. Uh, instead of, you know, um, returning to, to Jesus, he took his own life in the most desperate, um, you know, response and uh, it, 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 it's a tragic legacy. Um, betraying Jesus is the most terrible legacy that you can ever have. Um, so so uh, what, what happened to, to Judas serves as an example to every Christian and every Christian leader. Judas had every opportunity imaginable. He was even, he walked with Jesus day by day. He, he knew Jesus, but he, he betrayed him and he deserted him, okay? And this can happen, uh, this can happen um, 
uh, I've got several scriptures. I'm just going to read you one. Hebrews 3.12 says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. In fact, I kind of wanted to go into something. I don't feel like I've got time, but there's this popular movement in the church today and in, in the world today in Christian circles where people are doing what they're calling deconstructing their faith. Okay. Um, let me first say it's okay to have questions. It's okay to have doubts. God is big enough for your doubts. Not everything that's a part of what churches do uh, is essential. Okay. Some things are cultural. Some things are choices. Um, but deconstruction is destructive. Okay. Uh, as, as a whole, it's a very destructive. Instead of renewing, instead of restoring, instead of uh, reviving and, and, you know, in reforming, people are now just deconstructing. And to tear down, what's happening is just like our culture, people in the church, they're tearing down their faith with nothing, leaving nothing to replace it with, okay? Instead, let me just say, because I can't go into the whole thing, but hold on to the foundation. Hold on to the essentials and, and the, the uh, historic truth of the word of God. You can trust God's word. Maybe some, sometime I can, I can go into this when I've got longer. But uh, this article I was reading says, deconstructing faith rarely ends at merely rejecting corruption or jettisoning historical baggage. Instead, it creates some other faith that is not Christianity at all. In fact, it denies the essential doctrines of Christianity. And um, so, so we need to avoid the D, deconstruction, and we need to do the re, uh, building up, building up, strengthening. And uh, there's always a place for that. There's always a place for uh, strengthening your faith and your trust in God's word. Now, let me just end with this last uh, bit of this passage, okay? In verse 21, therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who've been with us the whole time the Lord was living, the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over his apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. What do we see here? We see that Peter is saying that these, we're going to choose from the peop, the men who have been with us the whole time. Okay. So these are time-tested leaders. They're not new to the faith. First uh, Timothy 3.6 says that you must not be a, a pastor or leader, must not be a recent convert, or he, must, he might become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. And so there's something about longevity and going the distance and consistency over time. Uh, also, this is someone who had been with Jesus. Um, as a leader, you got to know Jesus, not just know about Jesus, not just know of Jesus but to know Jesus personally, and it's all about Jesus. But then also, 
uh, leaders have to be called by God. It's the calling of God on their life that makes the difference. And people were involved, the congregation affirmed uh, the whole process uh, as they cast lots. Lots, it sounds funny that they take this whole process very seriously and then they're just like throwing dice. That's not really what was happening. What the lots were, they were more like nominations. So you put a name on a slip, you put it in a jar, and of course the more times your name is in the jar, the better the chance your name's going to be pulled. But that also gave God a chance to work in the process, trusting God, trusting that he's going to work through this process to bring about the leader that they uh, that that God wanted for them and that they needed. So in verse 26, they cast lots, the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. And so the call to leadership is great and we need leaders. And I just want to challenge you and encourage you, don't shrink back. Today, our world needs godly, committed, obedient, passionate leaders who will do whatever it takes to reach people for Jesus and to lead um, in the way that, that God honors. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you to go the distance today. And, you know, it is one thing to learn to follow leaders. And I want to encourage you to do that, honor your leaders, but also uh, you have a role in leadership in God's family. So I encourage you to do that. Don't shrink back, but be courageous. Let me pray with you right now. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for your goodness, Lord. I thank you for those who are watching I pray that and listening. I pray that you would bless them. And, and God, we pray for our leaders. We pray for our churches and our pastors, God, that you give them courage to stand in the face of a culture that is uh, in opposition to your truth and to your word. God, give us a great courage. Give us great effectiveness, God, at uh, reaching people uh, in your name and leading them into a personal relationship with you. Thank you for the promise uh, that you are with us through, through this, God, that you'll never leave us. And we thank you for that today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you have a great day. I look forward to seeing you really soon. Thank you for joining us for this week's Connect podcast. If you liked what you heard, then be sure to like, share, comment, subscribe, rate. We want to spread this good word to everybody we can who needs to hear this message. I hope you have a great week, and I look forward to you joining us next week for the Connect podcast. <music>